0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today's episode 302. It's titled Investing is Not Knowing. Last week, LaPearl and I went camping for a few days, and on Thursday, we drove up a gravel road that followed Spring Creek. Spring Creek flows into the Salmon River. We went through many switchbacks. The views were stunning. The wildflowers amazing. And we got to over 8,000 feet. But We got to a point where we could not go any further because of snow. That's always disappointing when you're out in the wilderness and you want to just go a little further and you can't because the snow hasn't melted yet. Before we turn back, I decided to check the Internet because when you're at 8000 feet, you actually can access some data on your phone. I happened to flip to Apple News and it said the Dow Jones Industrial Average had plummeted 1862 points that day. 6.9% due to a spike in COVID 19 cases. That was not what I wanted to see. I felt bad. The previous Friday, I released the June 2020 investment conditions report on Money for the Restless Plus, where I mentioned that investment conditions were red, but on the cusp of turning yellow. We rank investment conditions red bearish, yellow neutral, green more bullish. We had increased risk incrementally in our model portfolios based on that investment conditions report. We added some preferred stock, and we added an allocation to dividend-paying Japanese and US small company stocks. I felt like I'd been wrong, like I made a mistake, which we feel often in investing. But in order to be wrong, you have to have made a prediction to say something was going to happen and it didn't. But that's not what investing is, at least to me. It used to be when I was an investment manager. I felt like my job was to accurately predict the future. And when things didn't go as I expected, I felt bad because I was wrong and those feelings are still there even though i recognize i don't do that anymore howard marks in a recent memo wrote investing is positioning capital to profit from future developments but there's no such thing as knowing what future developments will be we don't know the economist john kenneth galbraith said we have two classes of forecasters those who don't know and those who don't know, they don't know. A similar quote, but much more ancient, by Zhuangzi goes, Not knowing is knowing. Knowing is not knowing. Who knows the knowing of non-knowing? That's a little confusing quote. What he's getting at is there's a sense of humility when we know that we don't know and recognize that. The worst thing is to know you don't know and act like you do. Leo Tolstoy calls us out on that when he wrote in the Calendar of Wisdom, Ignorance in itself is neither shameful nor harmful. Nobody can know everything, but pretending that you know what you actually do not know is both shameful and harmful. We have to have what Eric Angner professor of philosophy at Stockholm University, labeled epistemic humility. He called it an intellectual virtue. Here's his quote. It is grounded in the realization that our knowledge is always provisional and incomplete, and that it might require revision in light of new evidence. True experts, unlike charlatans, express themselves in ways that mirror their limitations. As I saw that the market had crashed, I recalled an email I received the day before from a PLUS member. He had saw the changes we made in the models, which are just examples of ETFs and mutual funds. And he wrote, I'm curious on your approach or reference sources as you make those judgments, if you don't mind sharing. I'm glad he used the word judgment. Because that's what we should do when we invest. They're not predictions. They're not forecasts. Judgments are considered decisions, sensible decisions. When we look at the opportunities, the expected return, the risk, look at the weight of evidence, and then decide, because investing is always about making judgments, considered decisions. I incrementally increase risk in the model portfolios, and in my portfolio, I made those trades today, because we look at the data on a monthly basis. We look at economic indicators, valuations, and what are known as market internals, which is the level of fear and greed, the trend and momentum in the markets. We've been looking at criteria that we wanted to see change in order to increase risk. The first condition was that there was evidence that the coronavirus spread was contained so that households and businesses can resume normal commercial activities without worrying about contracting COVID-19. There are indeed parts of the world where that pandemic is contained. Japan, Australia. That's one reason we added additional exposure to Japan in the models. We're getting more data on the infection fatality rate, how likely an individual is to die if they get COVID-19, either confirmed or an asymptomatic case. We don't know for sure. There's still a high degree of uncertainty, but the data suggests that the fatality rates at least are not as high as I thought they were a couple months ago when I reduced risk. Still meaningful, when we got back the next day and, and looked at internet, I was looking for evidence that there was a huge spike in COVID-19 cases in the U.S. And there wasn't. States where the economies have reopened, some of the states, you see the seven-day average increase a little bit, but the caseloads are still low. The r not the rate of infection, how many people does one Infected person spread COVID-19 to somebody else. The worst that I saw is about a 1.2, but nowhere near what it was. That doesn't mean we won't get a second wave, but based on the data that I was seeing, it suggested that there were regions where things were under control and in the U.S. things were manageable. A second condition that I've been looking for, the judgment that I used to make the decision was leading economic indicators to suggest we had bottomed out and that things were improving. In investing, if you want to incrementally increase risk or adjust your allocation, you can't wait until everything is all clear before making adjustments because markets anticipate, sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly, what is going to happen. We look at survey evidence business surveys, purchasing manager indices, PMIs. 86% of the countries around the world had a higher PMI in June than the prior month. You're starting to see very early signs that corporate profit expectations are increasing. The third criteria was cheap valuations, and that just wasn't there, but we allocated to areas that were more attractive. Dividend-paying stocks were attractive. I wrote, while there remains a high degree of uncertainty regarding the direction of financial markets and the economy, notice I wrote that in a way, as Engner would have said, where I express limitations, I continue, there's sufficient evidence to begin allocating to areas of the market that are attractive. And that's what we did, without knowing how the future would play out. But conditions were improving, suggesting we could make some reasoned sensible decisions, not knowing exactly what was going to happen. One of the things that we don't want to do as investors is to make decisions where the outcome is binary. Heads you win, tails you lose. Back in the early 2000s, I visited Bill Ackman. He's a hedge fund manager. He was running a fund called Gotham Partners. He was going over their positions, and a number of them were binary. The success depended on whether a lawsuit turned out well or not for the companies whose stock they held. Now, it's just part of their portfolio. Now, if we contrast that with something I saw in the Wall Street Journal, they profiled a 23-year-old salesman in San Francisco named Ty Gayon. He bought 35,000 shares of Hertz stock on June 4th for $1.43. He spent over $50,000. He said, it was my entire life savings. I decided, you know, if I'm going to do it, I should do it big, and I'll make a play and see what comes of it. No, that's not how we invest. Hertz was bankrupt. It filed for bankruptcy the month before. Its shares had plummeted to less than a dollar. The New York Stock Exchange had sent them notice that the stock was going to be delisted, suggesting it was effectively worthless. Hertz's senior unsecured 6% bonds were selling for 40 cents on the dollar. That's a yield of 22.6%, suggesting the stock wasn't worth anything. Typically, when a company is bankrupt, they will borrow some money to continue operations. This is very, very expensive financing. But in this case, Hertz, the bankrupt company's stock, started climbing. According to data on robintrack.net, there were 166,000 accounts on the Robinhood trading platform that held Hertz shares. This was a couple days ago. That's up from less than 2,000 users three months ago, and 44,000 on May 26, the day after Hertz filed. In other words, there were a lot of investors, individual retail investors that went out and bought Hertz the day after it went bankrupt. So what is Hertz doing? They got permission from the bankruptcy judge to issue more stock. In their petition, they wrote the recent market prices and the trading volumes in Hertz common stock could potentially present a unique opportunity for the debtors to raise capital on terms that are far superior to any debtor in possession financing. They want to ensure, they wrote, that the debtors are in a position to capture the potential value of Hertz' unissued shares, to raise money. So Hertz is, they issued a prospectus in which they outlined the risk. It says, although we cannot predict how our common stock will be treated under a plan, the reorganization plan, we expect that common stockholders would not receive a recovery through any plan Unless the holders of more senior claims and interest, such as secured and unsecured indebtedness, which is currently trading at a significant discount, 40 cents on the dollar for the one bond I mentioned, are paid in full, which would require a significant and rapid and currently unanticipated improvement in business conditions to pre-COVID-19 or close to pre-COVID-19 levels. We also expect our stockholders' equity to decrease as we use cash on hand to support our operations in bankruptcy. Consequently, there is a significant risk that the holders of our common stock, including purchasers in this offering, will receive no recovery under the Chapter 11 cases, and that our common stock will be worthless. It's in the perspective. We think the shareholders will be completely wiped out. Ah, but Tai Gayan wasn't. He sold his shares for $2.76, netting nearly a $47,000 profit. He said, I know that if I would have kept it, I would have made like $200,000 by now. But it's just such a high-risk stock that I like to diversify a little bit. He put all his life savings in a bankrupt company. And it paid off, fortunately. But now he wants to diversify? Hopefully, he realized he'd been really lucky. Although... He went back and bought another $16,000 worth of Hertz stock after he sold it. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H dot slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. Between March and May, there were 1.2 million new brokerage counts at Fidelity Investments. That's a 77% increase. TD Ameritrade reported 608,000 new accounts, a 249% increase from a year earlier. Robinhood has increased its customer base 30% in the first four months of the year. Individual investors are getting more interested in stocks. That's a good thing. Buying a stock is a great way to learn to invest, but not with your entire life savings. The Wall Street Journal article mentioned that Diana's Valdivieso took her $1,200 stimulus check to buy stocks on Robinhood. She said it's, it was basically free money. So, you know, I decided to play around with it. You might lose some, you might win some. It's like a gambling game. Then she got into options and said you can make a pretty good amount of money in any one day. As investors, we need to learn to make judgments, and judgments come from experience. It comes from losing some money. And you realize, no, you can't accurately predict the future. But as investors, we still have to allocate our capital based on what's going to happen in the future without knowing what that will be. We have to know, as Zhuangzi says, the knowing of non-knowing, to recognize, to be comfortable with our ignorance, and still make decisions because we can't invest without making decisions. Rebalancing is the decision, the timing of that rebalancing, where to invest, how to invest. It's what I teach on this podcast and on Money for the Rest of Us Plus. Principles help us allocate our investments more effectively to be better investors. The community where we share that. I grew up in a segregated neighborhood. It was all white. There was a segment, though, just one town over, that was all black, and those students came to our school. But I didn't really have exposure to African-Americans till high school. After high school, I worked for a hotel as a dishwasher. Most of my coworkers were African-American, as were my two bosses. But then I went to college and got into the investment business, and it was very, very male-dominated and very, very white. Last year, I read an article, an essay by Claudia Rankin. She's an African-American poet and professor. She traveled a lot on planes giving speeches, first class, in the airport clubs. And most people there are white and they're male. I was there all the time. One reason I quit my job is that I just don't, I'm not going to do that when I'm in, in my 50s. I will not continue to be in this environment flying so much. But she wanted to ask them, because she flew with him all the time, about their privilege. She writes After a series of casual conversations with my white male travelers, would I come to understand white privilege any differently? They couldn't know what it's like to be me, though who I am is in part a response to who they are. And I didn't really believe I understood them, even as they determined so much of what was possible in my life and in the lives of others. But because I have only lived as me, a person who regularly has to negotiate conscious and unconscious dismissal, erasure, disrespect, and abuse, I fell into this wondering silently. She pointed out that the phrase white privilege was popularized in nineteen eighty eight by Peggy McIntosh, a Wellesley College professor, and she defined it as invisible systems conferring dominance on one group. Seth Godin, the marketer, wrote I didn't spend any time yesterday worrying about being eaten by a grizzly bear or that I would get cholera from the water in my house. Rather, we build up these layers of insulation between ourselves and the world. So we have these protections, this insulation. But when that insulation is unevenly available, he writes, it becomes a privilege. That's what a privilege is. Rankin got the nerve to have this discussion about white male privilege. She asked her fellow passenger, I've been thinking about white male privilege and wonder if you think about yours or your son's. He replied, not me. I've worked hard for everything I have. She asked him if he gets flagged when he passes through the TSA. Not usually, he said. I have global entry. So do I, Rankin replied, but I still get stopped. She asked, are you able to move in and out of public spaces without being questioned as to why you are there? Do people rush forward asking how they can help you? One of the things I like about the personal finance media space is that it is way more diverse than the investing arena. Way more diverse in terms of women, African-Americans, Latinos. But I clearly have benefited from privilege. I have more insulation as I navigate the world. And what do I do about that or others? I I don't have all the answers, but being aware of it is a good first step, seeking to understand, teaching our children to recognize discrimination, to change the culture of that, to take action, to step up, to donate, to support, to help. We all have to navigate that ourselves, but the first step is just to recognize it. And I think what's happened over the last few weeks, including these horrific tragedies, have brought that to light, and we can't let it slide. We have to change. That's episode 302. You can get show notes at MoneyForTheRestOfUs.com. While you're there, please sign up for my free insider's guide, and I'll email you the links to the articles I mentioned in that week's episode, along with an essay I do on money investing in the economy. You can sign up for that at MoneyForTheRestOfUs.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.